Greetings all and welcome to Margin Call, the editorial meeting and podcast for Quest On Media. I'm your host, Russell Morse. Joining me in the booth today is Melanie Feliciano. Welcome, Mel. Always a pleasure. Welcome to you also, Charlie. And in a truly delightful turn of events, a very special treat, our producer, Eming Piancai will be stepping out from behind the curtain to share her insights and wisdom on this episode. Very exciting for me personally, uh, and I'm sure all of our listeners agree. On this installment of Margin Call, we'll be discussing, for lack of a better phrase, old people. The old people that we love and how they're aging and how we're taking care of them or not taking care of them and how we feel about it. In July, I traveled to Florida to visit my grandmother, who was a self-described old person living in a nursing home because she has Alzheimer's and it's not safe for her to live alone anymore. While visiting her in her new home, I was struck by how sprawling the campus was where she lived. There were buildings where people over 55 could rent apartments. There were buildings where sick people could live with nurses, buildings where forgetful people could live. It was a compound for the aging where they could transition to a higher level of care right next door whenever they needed to. On a personal note, it was sad for me to see that my grandmother spent most of her time with strangers none of whom she liked, and she had to abide by a strict set of rules, regulating how many beers she could have per day, grandma likes her beer, and restricting her to her floor of this building because her bad memory sometimes got her into trouble. It felt in some ways like a jail. There's a photo essay on the Quest on site informed by this experience. It's called Largo, and I encourage everybody to check it out. When I proposed this topic for our show, I used the phrase elderly industrial complex because that was my impression of the place I saw when I visited my grandmother. Shirley, our Mexico City correspondent, forwarded me a New Yorker piece called How the Elderly Lose Their Rights, which details how easy it is for guardians to control the lives of senior citizens. It's a wonderful article, though it is dark, and I recommend that as well. This is a big issue, how we care for the aging people in our society. We won't be able to unpack all of it today, but I would like to have a conversation about the grandparents and parents and loved ones in our lives and how they are aging. Care for the elderly might be a growing industrial complex, but it is a deeply personal issue that plays out in each of our lives. Uh, I want to start off today, uh, and we've we've been talking about this a little bit, the four of us, uh, by pitching a story, first of all, this is going to be my, my next contribution to Quest On, and, and it kind of leads to a larger conversation about aging and about, you know, the generation that we're in, because we're all roughly the same age, our grandparents, and kind of a cross-cultural evaluation, discussion, analysis of, you know, what's going on with our grandparents? How are we taking care of them? Like, what what's right? What's wrong? How does this affect our society? Eh? These are things that... You know, I mean, I, I joked a few minutes ago about, you know, our show is called Margin Call because we talk about a lot, a lot of different marginalized groups. We talk about incarcerated people. We talk about people of color and women. Um, but, I, you know, this is a, a big, big group of people in our country who lose their rights uh, and don't always get adequate care and are largely ignored in a lot of ways. So I just, you know, it's an idea. And, and just in the brief conversations that I've had with each of you everybody's had something to share. So that was kind of a sign to me uh, that it was something worth discussing. The story that I'm putting on the site isn't really explicitly about aging. It's not any kind of sociological exploration of this phenomenon. 
it's actually it's a photo essay uh, inspired in part, you know, by Charlie, because Charlie, you know, had a photo essay on our site, thought it looked really good. Uh, a lot of people responded well to it. And, you know, I'm not deep in the photography game in the way that Charlie is, but I was reminded um, what a good storytelling device that is. And, and you know, I, I took this trip recently to Tampa, Florida. I was actually in a town called Largo, which is like a poor town in the in the Tampa Bay area where my grandmother lives. And she's lived there for a long time, over 20 years. Um, and Florida is such a different place, especially these parts of, of Florida. For a person like me, I grew up in San Francisco. I live in New York. The topography is different. Uh, the uh, and, and Florida doesn't get a lot of love. It's true in our society. And feel free anybody who wants to chime in and just like dogpile about why and how Florida doesn't get any love. Mel, I know you're from there again. Anytime a person or a thing is getting universally criticized. I, I want to ask about that. I'm like, why does everybody hate Florida? Even barbecue Becky. I was like, let me, let me come to barbecue Becky's defense. You know, I, anytime someone's getting dogpiled, I want to figure out what that criticism is about. So I'm not a Florida hater by any means, but I am intrigued by it visually. And you know, there's a lot of old people there. That's not an insult. That's just a high concentration of old people right there. Uh, So I just took a series of photographs, you know, and wrote some captions reflecting on why I was there, why this place is different. And a lot of it is poetic in a sense, uh, because it's about my grandmother and how I spend time with her. Uh, She has dementia. She's in her 80s. And you know, this is what happens when people get dementia. You start to get nervous, right? Because people do things that are dangerous. You know, you think they might hurt themselves. They can't live alone. Um, But, you know, in most of the United States or many parts in the United States, uh, depending on a person's cultural background, when that starts to happen now, it's it's very common that you start to look for a place to put a person, you know, a per, you know, a, a person who, you know, in your whole life becomes a nuisance uh, instead of someone who needs your care. And that's not a new question at all. We've been talking about that for a long time, but it was just, you know, it was emotional for me to experience this with my grandmother. You know, like all my grandmother wants to do is drink beer and, and watch baseball, you know. And and now her like beer intake is regulated. She has to like sign it out, you know, and uh, a whole series of indignities and and kind of observing this space where she lives. And I don't even mean this as a criticism of my family, because I don't think, you know, there was really anything practical. You know, it takes a lot of effort and and energy and time and care and patience to, to look after someone. And it's not like there's someone in my family whose job it should be necessarily. But um, it was just sad, you know. You know, it was sad to be with her and recognize that she spends a lot of her time alone around other people who she doesn't really like. Um, and even though she's like this cool, funny, interesting woman who just wants to drink beer and tell stories with her family, um, she doesn't really get to do that. You know, and uh, I think that that experience is normalized in a way. It's it's very similar to the way I think that we normalize uh, often uh the 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 prison industrial complex, the way that we incarcerate people, the way that we warehouse people, like these institutions, the place where I visited my grandmother, it's a nice place. It's not like one of those places that you would see on 60 Minutes where they beat people up. <laughs> you know, they're not starving old people. They're meeting all their needs, but they're institutions. And they reminded me of places, you know, where I was locked up when I was a kid, when we, you know, warehousing children was also uh, and is also a priority for this country. Um, and it just 
Uh, there is no conclusion. That's why I chose a photo essay, right? Like, I'm not going to write an op-ed that proposes an alternative to this social issue. Obviously, it's big, and, and I don't even have any profound insights about it. But I do have some profound sadness about it, and photography is usually a good way to communicate profound sadness uh, sometimes. I think Charlie did a good job attesting to that. Yeah. When when I raised this, well, first of all, I, I guess I'll start with you, Mel, because I think you touched on a specific point. Uh, which was it's a very similar situation in my family, right? Everybody's busy. My mom and all her sisters, you know, they got jobs and they love their mom very much, but people live all over the country and they have their own kids and they have their own responsibilities. So it just doesn't make sense for them to be the people who become responsible for taking care of their mom. So it kind of becomes like, well, who's going to do it? And they take turns. You seem to think that you're going to end up in that position. Is that, do you say that with your own grandparents? Do you say that as a joke uh, I know you mentioned that, you know, you think your sister's off the hook because she has kids or something like what is that? Is that true? Or am I misinterpreting what you said, Mel? OK, so um, so just uh, just for clarity, my both sides of my grandparents have passed away. So it's really the next in line is going to be my my own parents. Um, and I will definitely be the one that's going to be taking care of them because I don't have kids and I'm not married and I'm the most mobile. Um, but just in, in, in most Latin families, um, or at least the ones that I know, there seems to always be sort of like a designated kid that is going to take care of their parents. And like for my mom, she's how is one that? of how ten. Does, how does something get determined like that? How does somebody become the designated kid who's going to take it care just, of this? It's like when you get born, like Melanie, she's the one, look at her. No, no. I think so. I mean, it just depends on the, the family line, right? So my mom was one of 10. And so, and they all sort of actually fought with each other over who was actually going to take my grandmother because they all absolutely loved her and adored her and each wanted to have her in their household um, because she was such a matriarch and she was cooking all the time and she took care of all the grandkids and she just was like a super joy to be around. So, um, so that dynamic is, is really cool too because she's not – being a burden on anybody. And at, at a certain point, um, once she ended up in the hospital, then each of the sisters, there were, there were actually five sisters. They took turns having to like go to the hospital to take care of her and, um, and just to be with her. And I remember this is when I lived in San Francisco. So I actually flew back to Florida to, to spend the last week with my, my grandmother as she was passing away. And it was one of the most memorable weeks I ever had because it, it made me realize that I was really fucking far away and, um, being across the country was, it, it just made me realize I needed to be closer to my family and made me start making decisions about coming back to the East coast. Um, so now, now, like, as far as like being designated within my generation, there seems to be 
um, at least I'm not the only one that's like single and without children. There have a few other cousins who are in the same um, sort of status. So they have automatically become the designated ones that are going to be taking care of their parents. And it's similar to my my grandmother. We all want to. And it's not a, a, a chore and it's something that um, I, I really like my parents. So I think um, hanging out with them and gardening with my mom is going to be really cool. And then on top of it, like nobody has the dementia. So I think that makes it a little easier for me, too. Um, and my dad, he's he's really healthy. He still plays racquetball. He's 78 and he plays like 45 year old guys and beats them. So it's just a really healthy situation. And I think part of our mental health and stability in our family is the fact that we are tight and that we talk to each other and, you know, we don't we don't sort of like throw each other in the garbage can like when we're not when we're being pains in the asses, right? Which which I should have been thrown in the garbage a long time ago, right? But um but I think that this is just more a cultural thing. Um and and at the same time I'm here in New York too, right? So I'm hearing overhearing a lot of conversations even just at the YMCA of other like Latin women who are taking care of their families or that they're they have they have relatives that are at, you know, these hospice centers or not hospice um I don't know, they're in nursing homes. And I do have especially on my dad's side there were a few um, that actually passed away in those homes because my dad's side of the family was so much smaller. Um, so it's a completely different story um, depending on, I guess, the size of the family in a way. Size yeah, matters. I, mean, I, think, I think there are a lot of different considerations. You know what I mean? Like I think if my grandmother didn't have uh, health issues, if she didn't have dementia, if she didn't have mobility and she was cooking dinner for, for every night, then – yeah, that'd be great to have her in the house. I think, you know, I, I think circumstances change when someone needs a really high level of care and they're not safe by themselves, you know, as you mentioned with dementia or with, you know, even other like actual health concerns or mobility, or, like people start to fall. Like that's dangerous. I agree that there are a lot of cultural distinctions. And I, I, again, I'm definitely not trying to throw my family under the bus. I don't think that they're doing something wrong. I think they, my aunt tried. My aunt was like, yeah, I'll take her. I love my mom. And then she just realized like my cousin was unemployed at the time. So he was able to hang out with her, but she was like, um, you know, she had a lot of paranoia associated with her dementia. And she was like, just a lot of kind of alarming behavior that was unsafe for her that my cousin couldn't really help out with. You know, he's just a regular guy in his twenties, you know, and it wasn't really safe. So those concerns are valid as well. Um, in any case, uh, my question for you, Mel, before we move on to emailing is this, how come just because you don't have kids, that means you become the person who has to take care of, <laughs> of your parents when they get old. What is that about? Okay, yeah. So, so I I get split sometimes in the way I feel about it. There's times where I resent it, and I'm like, yeah, why does it have to be me? But I also, like I said, I also feel like it's a source of pride. Um, I think of that movie like Water for Chocolate. 
<laughs> I don't know if you've seen it. Um, Laura Esquivel is the, I, the author. I've seen like water for chocolate, okay? <laughs> and the daughter, she's like, she's like, you must stay home and take care of me. You cannot get married. And she's a total witch. Um, <laughs> and she falls in love with, I don't know, some guy. And then it's terrible because her, her mother's like, no, you can't marry him because... You're going to stay home with me and I'm going to marry him off to your sister. Ha ha ha. It's a terrible story. But, um, I, you know, it's the kind of Where story. Where do you that, fit into that dynamic? Which one are you? <laughs> well, I'm Tita. And I, I, I kind of have this. I love cooking with my mother. My sister hates to cook. She, she, she takes everything out of the freezer. Um, it's it's sort of like this. I'm the one that's passing on the stories, um, or or actually recording the stories. Um, and you know, I talk to my parents more than um, any of the other kids do. Really, like I have a relationship with them that's much more adult, I guess. Like I I actually hang out with them like they're my friends. And I've, I've recorded my dad and his stories about New York and being a cop. And, um, you know, I've talked to my mom about what it was like to grow up in Williamsburg. And she, you know, and then I'm telling like the nieces and nephews about it. And my mom and I have talked a lot about who's going to be the one to preserve the culture, because in my family, everybody's married white people and the Puerto Rican culture has completely disappeared with the next generation. Nobody's speaking Spanish. And unless my mom is the one that's cooking, no one knows what pasteles is. So my mom has sort of asked me to be the one to do it since my sister's not interested really. And my brother, he's, he's a little better with it, but you know, there's only so much he could do. He's a software developer He's got four kids and, you know, he's just super busy. You could help um, out. You, know, you could commit not to marry a white guy. You'd be like, oh, it's safe, ma. Don't worry. I promise. No white hey, guys. I tried. <laughs> Believe me. <laughs> I think I've, I've gone through the United Nations already. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, like none of them stick. I just I I am definitely a, a single person. So um, and and so. So, yeah, like once my parents do get sick, I guess I'm going to be the one that's going to be navigating the healthcare system. And the great thing is that one of my clients is a, a health policy think tank in Washington, D.C., that basically just all they do is put out reports about um, how state health policy is changing, whether it's, you know, like when I first started there, it was all about Obamacare. And now um, they're doing a series of reports on palliative um, health yeah. services. Yeah. yeah. So you know what that is. Um, cause I'm just learning I do, about please, it. Please share, please share a little bit about palliative care. Just so our listeners know, cause I just learned so, about it recently. Yeah. So it's an offshoot, I guess, of hospice where they consider the whole health of the human and they include spirituality and religion with this, the care that they give to the older folks. Um, and, and the focus is elders. So, um, that's what I learned today. Um, but 
uh, that's the extent of it. But I'll be putting um, a series of reports together over the next 26 months, I guess, is what the grant is running. Um, well, definitely anyway, yeah. keep us posted. I, I have a personal interest in palliative care just because I had the first time I heard about it was from a friend. Um, my dad had a terminal illness and he was in hospice care, not palliative care. Uh, but my friend was going to school in order to do palliative care. And he said it was really hard to find a place because what he wanted to do was like be there with people while they're dying. Sometimes you're just like, all right, I'm, I'm going to die now. And you can start to prepare yourself. And that's like a really important, obviously a really he said he had a hard time finding a placement where he could do that because most hospitals, you know, as he was working with people with terminal illness, people with cancer, and he went to a cancer hospital that was just all about the cure, you know, even though there is no cure, right? But it's like a, you know, they're trying out different treatments for people, and he was really frustrated because he was like, well, you're not really giving people an opportunity to say like, hey, maybe it's time to transition out. Uh, instead, you're kind of suggesting alternative treatments and not letting people maybe accept their reality and kind of transition on their own terms. Um, but I'm very interested to hear that you're working on that. I think we could do a whole future episode about it. Not that it's the most uplifting subject in the world, but it's certainly important. We don't really think or talk about like how we die very often. You know, uh, That's one of my favorite uh, topics. I think we should definitely talk about death for an entire yes. podcast. Listeners, tune in. Uh, I, so I guess my entry on this would be, okay, so my I have one remaining like natural grandparent, uh, my grandmother on my father's side. My grandfather on my father's side died when I was single digit age. Um, my grandfather on my mother's side died when I was single digit age. My grandmother on my mother's side died when I was like 11. Um, and my grandma Sarah is still alive and kicking. Uh, but she has severe dementia. She can't take care of herself. Uh, her last, I guess you would say, sane act uh, was to board a Greyhound bus from Oklahoma where she was living by herself to trying to get to uh, uh, at least California uh, or Oregon um, where her, her family is based. And so uh, she was in Arizona when she lost what little, you know, uh, cognizance she had left. They brought her off of the bus uh, called my aunts and my cousins. I, for some reason, was expected to be the person that was going to take care of her. And uh, you got hella kids, so how come that excuse doesn't work in your family and it worked in Melanie's so family? <laughs> here's the thing. Very little connectivity uh, with that side of my family, with my dad's side of the family, you know what I'm saying? And so a lot of them didn't know how many kids I had. Uh, and their idea was because I'm kind of separated from them in the way that I am. And I ain't asking them for shit. I must be doing all right. So, um, <laughs> <That tracks. laughs> he hasn't asked us to borrow money in a while. He must be doing okay. <laughs> now, the funny thing is, it's like, I'm, I don't ask you for shit because I know I can't. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, uh, it's easier to avoid the bullshit. Uh, but, 
me and my grandmother had a very close relationship. Like I said, she lived out in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It was like a sort of a rites of passage in my family uh, for people to go and stay a summer with her. You know what I'm saying? I ended up going and living a year out there. I went to school at Muskogee High. Uh, Did you learn how to ride a horse? uh, You know what's crazy is... My grandmother's boyfriend at the time uh, owned a ranch out in uh, uh, Fort Gibson, and he owned no horses. He owned hella cows and a bull. You got to have 25 cows per bull, I learned out there. Uh, If you have two bulls and anything less than 30 cows, they going to fight to the death. What you call it? Bulls need a lot of puss. What you call it? Um, <laughs> um, uh, Let me write that down. <laughs> we had we had we had a joint bank account. We had uh, she took me hunting, fishing. We played dominoes together. Like uh, she was deep into the church. She was head of the usher board. I was going to church. I was what they call a triple A church member at the time. Uh, uh, which meant I was in the door. I was in the doors every time they open. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but it was my grandmother opening the door. So uh, <laughs> I said horses because I was like, I know it's an Oklahoma stereotype, but it's one of those stereotypes that's so founded on truth that I have expected is. you to say. I had a cowboy hat. I rode a horse. Nah, you know his name the, was Silver. The thing about black farmers out there is a lot of them didn't have horses because you don't fucking need them. You know what I'm saying? Um, they had, a, they had an ATV. Like- <laughs> <laughs> they were hurting the cows on ATVs. <laughs> Dirt bikes. <laughs> yes, yes, very much. Yes, yes. Nice. Yes, that's what it was. Um, I like this. So did she, when she did, uh, when came off the bus and they were contacting family, did right. she actually they, come? No. So she ended up in Oregon with my aunt. And uh, it was it was a bit contentious between uh, my great aunt, her sister, um, who uh, used to work at um, an in-care facility uh, called Vernon Manor out in the city um, that uh, housed uh, people with uh, mental and physical disabilities of various ages. Did you ever? Did you ever go visit her there? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I went. I went and chill with my auntie Frances uh, at um, Vernon Manor. Uh, my aunt worked there. My cousin worked there. My dad worked there for a while. So it was, was like, it, was it a nursing going, home? It was a care facility. It, it was a care facility. Mm-hmm. And so I got to know a lot of the clients, you know what I'm saying? I would help them with care. You know what I'm I almost, I almost, uh, went and got licensed and went and worked there, but I didn't, it was, it was a little intense for me. Yeah. What was your impression of the place? I mean, I like I mentioned when I visited my grandmother, like I know that they were meeting all her basic needs, and I I believe that they were treating her with respect, but it still felt like a warehouse. You know what I mean? What was your impression? No, no, no. Vernon Manor was this super dope, like small mansion in Lakeview, um, uh, and like 
all of the clients uh, were children of rich folks. You know what I'm saying? And my my aunt and her staff like treated them really well, uh, catered to, you know, the particulars, took them out. You know what I'm saying? Kind of let them maneuver. The ones who can maneuver around by themselves would let them maneuver around by themselves. It, it was um, it was it was what you think that type of establishment should be. Oh, and is your is your grandmother still alive? Is she still living there? You, I think you mentioned no, that. No, my grandmother. Tonight. My grandmother never lived in uh, Vernon Manor. My aunt ran Vernon Manor, oh, okay. and she wanted because she had run Vernon Manor for so long. She had connections mm-hmm. with a lot of the families mm-hmm. of Vernon Manor, who, like I said, were rich folks. And as favors to her. They had lined my grandmother up with like the nicest care facility in California. Okay. Um, but my aunt, my grandmother's daughter, my dad's sister, um, wanted to take her in, wanted to care for her herself, which everybody considered kind of odd because uh that aunt ain't the most maternal in nature or whatever, but you know, it's her mama. You know what I'm Sometimes saying? Those, those instincts can kick in late, you know. Right. And so and so it's her mom and uh she wants to care for her. And so that's what that's what's going on. I've been asked to go up and visit. I've been told though that she wouldn't recognize me. I've been told that you know what I'm saying. Right. And I don't really want to see her in that condition. I don't want to see her under those circumstances. My mom, my grandma was a very uh, sharp, witty, uh, uh, feisty, uh, old. Sh- old fucking uh bat and um nice and, that's what we'll call uh, this show <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh i would hate to uh yeah. see her reduced in that kind of way you know she doesn't have um you know, baseball or like there's nothing in that way that she kind of retained. She reads the newspaper, which, you know, not entertaining for me to be around. Um, So, uh, which my grandmother's she'll page through like us weekly and she'll be like, why is this person famous? Why is this person? <laughs> Who cares about this person? I was like, well, Grandma, you're paging through here. Like, you're the target audience. In fact, right. most people who read those magazines are saying the same thing. Oh, I hate this person. This person's ugly. Why is this person famous? And she still says funny things. You know, I think she's kind of early on in her stages, so who knows what the future holds for her. But she got in trouble the other day, and this is one of the, the things that my mom likes about her role, right? If something goes wrong, they contact her. So she's like, oh, it's the reverse. She's the mom now, right? Right. So my grandmother got in, t- in trouble the other day because she was eating and she didn't like what they served. And she called over one of the staff. She was like, you serve this shit at home? <laughs> I was like, damn, grandma. <laughs> Roasted. Oh, um, grandma. <laughs> so she, she still got some of the feisty in her. Um, but I understand what you mean. You know, as people, my other grandmother had Alzheimer's and that's what ultimately killed her and watching someone slip, slip away. You know, it's very painful. 
Uh, Eming, I want to ask you about your recent trip to the Philippines because I had heard you talk about your grandmother before, but I know you got a chance to see her again. So how long had it been since you saw her? This seemed like a very meaningful reunion. Like, talk a little bit about your grandma. So um, I was last in the, Phil- in the Philippines about 10 years ago when I almost died from dengue fever. So that's probably why I haven't been back in 10 years. <laughs> I didn't want to go through that again. Um, and about five wait, years... Wait, 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 Amy. You, yeah. you cut out for a second, and that's actually a very important detail. So can you please tell us once again that you almost died from dengue fever? <laughs> Take it from the top, Amy. <laughs> so 10 years ago, when I was in the Philippines, um, probably about three days before I came back, I got bit by a mosquito. And when I came back to the States, I got dengue fever. And I had like one of the four... because yeah, it's like, it's like deadly and like not so deadly. And I had probably one of the middle. So I was in the hospital for like a weekend and I was, I was nervous. I was going to die, <laughs> but I did Damn, so, so you were, you were yay. almost in palliative care. Yeah. I mean, I was in the hospital <laughs> wow. for a couple of days. They couldn't, um, they had no idea what was wrong with me. All I remember is I had a really attractive doctor and I was like, I didn't want to like tell him I wasn't feeling good. <laughs> Just a really weird reaction to being sick. So I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm like, God, you're not fine. Why are you lying to this guy? <laughs> Maybe they were going to suspect you were faking it because you just went there because you wanted to meet a hot doctor. It was, was like, oh, I'm not feeling so good. I had a lot of doctors. And like, I was like, wow, he's nice. <laughs> um, I like that that's what you remember from the experience where you almost died. Like, that doctor was hot, hot, though. If it was the last thing I had to see, that wouldn't have been a bad one to go out It on. wasn't. It was nice. I, I appreciated, like, the, the, the night that he was there, and that was it. Um, anyway. You know, so, I hear that a lot, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, um, sorry, I had to sneak Where, where were in. we? Okay. Um, you were telling you were about to tell me about your grandma. First, you wanted to tell us that you almost died, and then you were going to share a little bit about your grandma. Well, that's why I haven't been back in 10 years, because I was nervous about getting dengue fever again. I don't so, blame you. Yeah. So, um, about five years ago, my grandfather passed away in the Philippines, and around that time, you know, my grandmother was, you know, her, 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 uh, her memory was going. She wasn't able to take care of herself. So um, my father and my uncle went back to the Philippines to move her to her sister's house, which has like 20 people living in it because my family is really big over there. And she's been living there ever since um, by her, not by herself, but with them. And they basically use the money from the house that they used to live in and like, I guess whatever money my grandfather had like hoarded over the years to like basically pay for her now. So she has like a person to like be with her, feed her, do all the other stuff um, necessary for her to do well. And surprisingly. So she's living with family, but mm-hmm. they have like someone who kind of helps to take yeah. care of her so yes. that she can stay there. Okay. Yeah. And she like I, I kind of think that when we're there, they like bring her out for like shows, so they know that she's like okay. But then like <laughs> like oh, evenings here. No, I'm we serious because <laughs> when my when my uh, my fa- my my uncle was there because he left before I did. Um, she she was always out in the living room like chilling by the fan, and then the day they left, she was like gone, and I was like. Where's my Lola? <laughs> like she was around, and I realized that like she, 
I guess she usually hangs out like in the 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 kitchen area where what like the help is. I guess that's where she usually is. And then the day I bef- the day I left, that they brought her out again. So I got to say like bye <laughs> before I left because she's like, I mean, she has no idea who I am. But she, you know, she sits there. She she eats. She she can't do much do much else. Like you have to actually walk her around. Um, or help her. Was around. that a big part of your visit? A part of the reason you went back and basically risked dying again of dengue fever was <laughs> no, because I uh, covered myself in poison. That's why I didn't get de- de- dengue fever. Like just lathered myself in poison. It was great. <laughs> Whatever works. Uh, but was that part of the visit? Was to yeah. see your grandmother since been seen her in so long, and you thought maybe you might, you know. Who knows when you might be able to see her again, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, I don't know where she's at health-wise right now, but she's definitely getting older and I don't know. So for me, yeah, I had I, I kind of had this like um, this urge, like I had to go back soon. So despite the fact that I like had all these things going on this year, I was like, you know what? I have to go back. I don't even care how much it costs. Like I have to go. And I'm really glad that I did because it was a nice visit. Like it was see my grandma, even though I didn't see her that much and I couldn't talk to her and she doesn't know who the fuck I am. But it was just nice to see her and kind of like see her because she pretty much like she was a big part of my like my youth like like when, whenever I would visit whenever I go back she would like tell me these like super elaborate stories and it wasn't till way later in my adulthood where I realized like I'm like wow she literally like gave me the tools to be a writer and it really like tripped me out I was like oh wow like I didn't even know I had this gift until way later when I could have could appreciate it more and so now that she can't even like talk or anything it's kind of like that opportunity has kind of left it sucks that's why it makes me kind of sad that's why it's hard for me to like because when I was there my uncle like he was like you know I know you're not used to like being around her but it's like you you should like try more and just sit with her and I'm like okay 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 I just got here like give me a second like this is a lot to take in right now um but yeah I was really glad that I went and it was a good experience. And I mean, she might not be there the next time I'm there. So I'm glad I did. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. Like Charlie said, you know, when, when someone, you know, it's different if you're fully aware of what's going on and you're sick, it's like every time you spend time with someone, you're still kind of building on that relationship. But when somebody has dementia or Alzheimer's, you know, it's like you lose that person a little bit. And sometimes you wonder about what's the significance of the time. Uh, and I, I think I went through that with my grandmother and, and late stage Alzheimer's, but I also just kind of felt like, well, <laughs> I mean, time is important. And it's like I, you know, being in someone's presence uh, was worth it, even though, like Charlie said, it is very difficult. I'm also kind of curious about like an exploration of the decisions that some older people are making because they don't have, uh, you know, family that they can rely on to take care of them in their older age. So I don't. I know a guy whose dad uh, just got home. Uh, He was deported from the Philippines. He, black dude, he figured with the money he had saved up, you know, it would last him two or three years uh, anywhere in the greater Bay Area. And, you know, 
five years at best if he moved inward. You know what I'm saying? Um, but if he he researched different countries and how the money translates, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, oh, I know somebody who moved to the Philippines and he out there kind of chilling. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So mm-hmm. you can definitely do that there. He, uh, he moved out to the Philippines uh, and while he was out there, uh, his uh, his uh, friend died. <clears throat> After he died, uh, his uh, like his uh, his help and his neighbors was like raiding his shit. You know what I'm saying? And um, he went over there and kind of regulated and that uh that got somebody pissed off and next thing you know Filipino ice is at his door um it's a terrifying phrase by the way he goes to jail he he goes to jail um fucking while he was in jail he got uh, a cut on his foot that got infected. He ended up having to have his leg amputated uh, upon his uh, return to the States. Um, and now uh, he's no longer in a position where uh, he has the money to mm-hmm. um kind of figure anything out and so his family is kind of stressing off what's going to happen when he gets out of the hospital right now you at the beginning you said you wondered about people who don't have family to care for them did you mention him because he doesn't have children or he doesn't have no 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 no, no, that's why he made that he does okay i know this dude through his children you feel what i'm saying okay yeah Uh, this is a friend of mine dad but um, he got three kids and a small apartment. Uh, his brother, uh, who is uh, fresh out, has uh, a kid, uh, a, a newborn, uh, and a small apartment, uh, like a studio. You feel what I'm saying? Uh, um. I used to live, you know, when I had a, a studio apartment, I think about this a lot about like aging and I wonder about having kids. I'm like, oh, well, you know, the, obviously you make that decision for different reasons or you don't make that decision and then you just have kids. But, uh, you know, part of that is like, well, at least ostensibly someone is obligated to take care of me when I get old. <laughs> and in, in, at least ostensibly and in my my old apartment you know i used to live in a studio apartment like in you know chinatown kind of tenderloin area and there was a woman who lived on my floor louise who had no kids but she just lived on her own she would always come out like a with a crooked wig on and you know one time she showed up at my door and she's like oh could you she wanted me to help her do stuff around the house little things you know so one time she showed up usually it's like oh can you screw in this light bulb one time she showed up with a bottle of champagne i was like oh can you open this bottle of champagne she's like yeah sure i opened it up i said oh you have company over she's like nope and just went back to her room and had her drank her champagne i thought oh, this is nice louise 
always has her own life. You know, I talked to her. She says, oh, I like to gamble. She would take the bus up to Reno and do the slot machines. You know, the idea of having she's old, like truly in her 90s. But the idea of having that much autonomy and mobility um, at that age, it's just it's good. It's a good reminder. You know, you can still, depending on your circumstances and your luck, um, have a level of autonomy at that age. That was Louise. We went to Reno together once because I told her I like to gamble too. So we took the bus up there. We took the Chinatown bus up there. Yeah. So there, I mean, there are a lot of different ways to age. Uh, and I think that's also kind of lost in the conversation we think about. Maybe it's just me, but you know, we, I think we make a lot of assumptions about people getting into their eighties, people get into their nineties and they just kind of disappear whether they're, you know, vibrant and present and active, uh, or not. So I think this was a, a really illuminating and really helpful conversation for me personally, just to think about all these different respective examples, um, of your experience. And I think something that always happens when we look at, you know, a generation before us or two generations, you got to think about like, well, I'm next, you know, like I have to start thinking about not really right now, actively in this moment, but eventually you have to think about things like this. All right. Uh, many thanks to you, Eming, Mel, Charlie, again, mm-hmm. uh, for sharing your experiences. And thanks to all of you out there, our listeners. We love you. Uh, and until next time, Quest On. This episode of Quest On Media's Margin Call was produced in Richmond, California.